Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Pete Coleman, and with me as always, I have Travis J. Dow. Today we talk about some of the magic books, protective charms and spells, and of course, magic rings. That's right. Magic is one of the areas that intersect with alchemy. As we've mentioned several times before, we've taken detours with episodes on thaumaturgy and magic before. This is not uncharted territory for us, since magic is the critical piece of the puzzle to understanding the mind. The common knowledge of the alchemists in the medieval period and the modern age is what we're focusing on today. In this episode, we'll go over the alchemical means of creating a magic ring, for example, one that can point out those who would harm you and those who would betray you or even poison you. This ring would have power. And with a lot of parallels to alchemical recipes of gold making, there are recipes to summon demons or to protect you against those aforementioned demons, right? So in this episode, it is intended to give you, the listener, a deeper understanding of the alchemist's knowledge and mind. Sort of like the episode on biblical characters as alchemists that we've talked about before, or alchemical illusions and symbols. Understanding all of this helps us understand alchemy a little bit better. For this episode, Travis went to the museum in Halle, where they had an exhibit of rings of power throughout the ages, and the university library at Leipzig, where they have an exhibit on magical books and spells, including some alchemy. So Travis, take it away. Yeah, so um, if, if y'all remember, wait, that wasn't even for alchemy, that was for a history of Germany. But So um, Baudelaire, um, Mirko Gudjar is his name, we've actually had him on the show for... Uh, why was he on alchemy? For sure he was here, but I've had him on History of Germany for uh, this guy disc of, of Nebra, this like Bronze Age um, sort of calendar, uh, also a very powerful symbol that might have been used as a banner at some point, but a Bronze Age uh, depiction of the sky and the moon and sun and like when the sun would rise for certain times, uh, kind of a, you know, to be used as a calendar, for example. Um, and I've also had him on um, for when we talked about Martin Luther, especially on the history of Germany, because in Wittenberg, when you went in, to Wittenberg, right? Yep, for the 500 year anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his 95 thesis on the cathedral or the church door, mm-hmm. starting the Reformation, or at least one of the kind of landmark events starting the Reformation. Um, so this time, now he lives in Leipzig. He has a newborn baby and is married. Hey, congratulations, and, by the way, yeah, Bühler. Um, yeah. Oh, he's a fan favorite of several shows, uh, and he's a he's a friend of the, of our show. Yeah. So right. So also, in fact, uh, I translate his uh, Das Geheime Kabinett into English, which is you know he does it in German um, as the Secret Cabinet, which is right now as of like uh, December 2019 our number one show. It passed uh, History of Germany. It doesn't is, surprise me. It's a great show. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's literally yeah. like the weird stories of of. Um, history and Budler is he's an archaeologist by trade so has tons of stories of um, like uh, digging up stuff in Cornwall like like King Arthur's era and um, 
Uh, well, no, he, he you know he also went to the Vatican too. I remember you telling me that story. Where, I think we talked about him in the secret archives. Yeah, when the secret archives. Yeah. And when I was in the Vatican a few years ago, he was on my mind because I went right by that door that was under security. Yeah. I was like, oh, I wish I could have gone in there with Woodler because that would have been pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, so yeah, so he, he's just full of stories, and, and he gave me a private tour of the Martin Luther House when I was in Wittenberg, but now he also gave me a private tour of um, an exhibit he worked on in Halle, and then also the, just the university library in Leipzig, like you mentioned. Um, but his depth of knowledge is, is fantastic, because he knows, he knows like what's missing in an exhibit, so it's kind of a, an artist pointing out all the flaws of a painting right. that you wouldn't see, you know, the stuff they didn't get, or um, each, each uh, item would have a little description next to it, but he can tell you the whole story. He's like, we found this, and then, you know, this led to this and this, and um, so he's at the forefront, the, the very forefront of some of the things we're gonna be talking about today, which was unknown even 10 years ago. So some of this stuff is, even if you've, you know, treaded over magic rings and magic books and stuff before, we're going to bring some new stuff to the table today. Now, now, when you say magic rings, uh, I think for many of our listeners, including this guy right here across from you on, on the microphone, I think of like, you know, Tolkien's sort of uh, Lord of the Rings. You know, that that's kind of when you think magic rings for me, I think of what I grew up listening or, or, or watching The Hobbit uh, or reading the stories about, you know, the, the ring that would... would was made for for d different reasons for the for the story. There yeah. are many rings, as a matter of fact. So this goes back to antiquity when we're talking about the power of rings, right? So actually, we're gonna we're gonna mention the Tolkien ring a couple of times. First of all, they did have a replica of you know it's a it's a fictional story, sure, yeah, but they yeah, did yeah. have the ring of oh, power. Oh, is it by the way? Yeah, <laughs> just in case you didn't know. I didn't know, but they did they did have that in the museum. Cool. And um, Budler also gave me like two big books. Um, a, written by academics, several articles, some in English, some in German, most in German maybe, and they all kind of made an allusion to Tolkien because Tolkien was also an academic and studied languages, and there's the Nibelungen ring from Wagner, for instance, but there's also in folklore, part of the exhibit was going way back to Celtic ages, of like they'd have these torques, these solid gold or brass or whatever, but, but gold for a while, and when, when the Byzantine Empire was a thing, these solid um, rings around their necks, and then the Romans would wear them as trophies on their armor, so you see like, statues or graves with Roman soldiers, if they fought Celts, you would see these like rings hanging from their breastplates, you know? So, but yeah, so I mean, we'll, we'll come across that again and again because Tolkien was onto something, like the, um, the whole creation of the ring, the whole, like, I mean, even these academics are just kind of talking about The Hobbit and, and Lord of the Rings over and over in these academic texts. So, I, yeah, I th that's just a little side note there. I thought that was interesting, but, you but may, yeah. Maybe Steve Colbert is listening, because he, he's a Hobbit aficionado. He's not he? listening, first of all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he might be. Who knows? He's got magical rings. He can look at it. I, I also, so for those of you that thought we kind of dropped off the planet for the last couple of years, um, that's not the case. We've, prob we've probably been, well, other than Pete. Yeah, I, I went to um, We've been uh, busy. We've been probably producing still a, like an episode a week on average of various of shows. Stuff. Absolutely, some of them <laughs> some of them are in German. Like the, now, there's 150 episodes about U.S. history in German that you know you might be unaware of and you might not care about if you don't speak German. Um, but the other big show we've been working on, the big show, the the flagship of Podcast Nick Productions, is Past Access. Yeah. Which thanks, man. Um, well, the production value is crazy. Like the. Like it's so. First of all, it's a one-man show. Pete travels the world in a wheelchair, as he does, 
And we have episodes on on Barcelona, on uh, Dresden, um, even you know hometowns of like DC and zipped over to Baltimore, um, Stockholm, Florence, Stockholm, and these Venice. are on, these are on yeah. YouTube because these are yeah. this is like heavy like vi- editing video is a whole nother league, and with the effects and the you know the kind of the it looks like you have fun doing it too. Like I'm I'm thinking oh, of the, the the boy with the meatballs. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great, and and you know what's really cool about this is that. When I'm going to these places around the world, I slip into all these different type of uh, uh, museums and, and locations. Oh, the ABBA Museum. You guys, okay. you, you have to. <laughs> you brought up ABBA. You okay, yeah. have to go awesome. watch Past Access on YouTube. I was going to keep it connected to alchemy, but fine. All right. Pop culture is cool, too. But I will go to places like Stockholm, and I will go up to see you know, al- alchemical uh, areas there that, yeah. um, uh, that, that were done during the time of, of the late 1700s. We've talked about the Devil's Bible, right. which was, you know, written in uh, Moravia, I guess, in, in the Czech Republic. I got but to is see now it. I got to see it, In man. Stockholm. Yeah. I got to see it at the National Archives in, in Sweden. And uh, um, so sometimes these shows kind of intersect with each other, and it's great. And, and um, if you haven't seen Past Access on YouTube yet, go to Past Access. You can also go to pastaccess.com. And get follow, your lives together. Yeah, what are you follow, even doing? What are you doing? Because you can follow me around, and it's not just a show for people in wheelchairs. That's, that's a nice benefit. That's my passion project. Well, so but it's about history. There, there's fantastic travel tips of like what's accessible and what's not accessible, or or what you should do. Maybe you have to call ahead. Maybe it's just fully accessible. Maybe you just get someone's attention, and they'll you know have a little lift for the trains. What I think is great is that is that yeah, if you're uh, if you do have some like mobility issues, then it might give you the confidence to yeah. be like, oh, if a if a loser like Pete can no, <laughs> no seriously, I, actually, if Pete can do it, oh my gosh, if, anybody can if do it. Pete can do it. Yeah, but this you, is an you can go this see is this places. is a, an inclusive show. It's for everybody, you know. And, and we that's got the thing. we got what we got Florence coming up, Venice coming up. Yeah, Florence, Venice, pra- uh, Paris, Prague. Yeah, yeah, pra- yeah. Lot, you know, um, a lot to do in the, in, going into season two. Pete still lives in Prague, which is a very right. magical city. Yeah, and um, so yeah, so. Stay tuned. Subscribe on YouTube. Past access is what it is. It'll be in the show notes. Um, in fact, it's on the show notes of every episode. In case you've been missing it uh, lately, but um, and then otherwise, go check out the secret cabinet, especially because that will give you a little bit of the uh, insight into the devious mind of uh, Der Butler, and he's he was kind of the inspiration for this episode. So, um, but yeah, I mean. So when we talk about magic, um, I, I wrote it in here somewhere. Maybe I'll start with this. The, what, what magic and alchemy have in common, which is kind of interesting, which is the difference between like straight up shamanism or even religion, is that magic and alchemy were this sort of replicable process where you're following a recipe, which is the same philosophy of science. So you you know you might read this spell or do this certain ritual or do something in a certain way and you have expected outcomes. You you don't need to be a priest or a holy man or even necessarily have faith. It was although often uh, we talked about this before alchemical processes did often require you to uh, you know contemplate God or you know there sure. was a religious aspect to it and we can't we can't divorce the religion of the time or you know the religious thinking of the time from the magical thinking. But it's interesting to note that just as alchemy is a sort of pseudoscience where it is the, the predecessor to chemistry, where you're mixing different things in a lab and then you get this chemical reaction and this other thing happens, the same thing was actually magical thinking. Um, well, you're to talk about scientific method. I mean, that's also an alchemical sort of byproduct yeah. of this, isn't it? 
Yeah. And, yeah. you know, what if there were no coincidences, but also maybe no, you know, the, like the laws of nature or physics either. Or what if you could suspend the, the laws of nature or physics? Um, Klaus Priesner, one of the guys that wrote an article for, for this exhibit, uh, basically said that magic is basically the knowledge and ability to change things which you could not change without such magical knowledge. So um, you're, you're changing reality. If you didn't have this ring of power or this spell, then life would go on as usual. But with this talisman or amulet, you're afforded extra protection or... Um, Oh, there's crazy stuff. There's, I mean, literally like invisibility cloaks and, you know, rings of invisibility, just like the Hobbit. So we, we have uh, rituals that will, that will, you know, give you a ring of invisibility, for instance. You can see the past and the future and then, you know, change the laws of nature or even change other people's behavior and actions. You could create miracles, so to speak. So if you're a theologian, like a, like a priest or someone, then you might believe in miracles also, but that they come directly from God. And again, okay, we've talked about this before. The source of the magic could be demonic. It could be from God. But the thing is, the belief was that if you follow this ritual, say these words, do these actions, then you can, um, in a sense, force the supernatural to do your bidding. Okay. Um, but, but in a replicable way, in a, in a way that you follow these steps and you get this result, which is... It's the backbone of science too. It's, it's just it's, it's a kind of a class in psychology though that if you if you believe in something tactile that you have that's going to give you confidence, do you think maybe you, it might further what you're going to be doing? Yeah. Okay. So, so maybe there's something to it because psychosomatic. Maybe, because right? well, so we're not we're not here to tell you that magic is real or that uh, any of these things worked. In fact, we're pretty sure none of these things worked. Um, to be honest, so let's leave the door open a little bit. You know, just yeah. For fun. I, I, Right. <laughs> We've gotten like criticism for being like overly skeptical. Like, how dare we talk about these things and yet not believe in it? Yeah. Um, and it's yeah. I mean, we're skeptical in a way. People have called us not spiritual. We're both like religious people. Yeah, I would say um, so. But yeah. It's, yeah. But um, it's the. Di I guess what I'm trying to point out is the difference between magical thinking and alchemical thinking is. Um, it's not some intuitive thing like going into a trance or praying. You can learn this. So you might be an apprentice from a sorcerer, a magician or whatever. And that's, that's the difference between priests and shamans. Priests and shamans will act in faith. And, you know, that, that's, and this is the difference is um, if you say a prayer, something might happen, something might not happen. But this is the idea behind this, at least, was it's replicable. You, you, um, you follow a spell and the same thing happens every time if done right just like and that's a big asterisk or a big right. caveat like you didn't do it right well you probably didn't do it at the right the correct full moon under the right star sign or sure. you know the right zodiac sign um which is the the same like preconditions for alchemy so you know it, it comes from the same worldview it, the, these are the same people doing these things basically well i might be jumping the gun here as we go further into the show but you know is it possible that some of these rings were made of some kind of metal or some kind of maybe poison that would react to somebody's skin when they put it on that they would actually see certain things is that even possible that we're that that metallurgy so could be reactive to someone's biochemistry there, that you're touching on an interesting point there that if if you go far enough back to some of the shamanistic rituals where they might have been like I want to say licking toads. That's the, but, but you know, eating. There's eating, a shaman being very upset with that comment yeah, right but now. Like, so like nice. the whole idea of like ayahuasca or um, you know eating a fungus that that will kind of open your mind into another realm. Let's say, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't exclude that. I would say in the Middle Ages 
they thought differently. Like if, if you got ergot poisoning, like let's say that's one of the theories of the Salem witch trials, mm -hmm. then it was probably a demonic thing and you'd be burned as a witch if, if you suddenly see these visions. Other times, who knows where all those visions came from? Like Joanne of Arc, was she schizophrenic? Are we being we could heretics talk, We could talk about that, that, that rye bread mold that you exactly. were talking yeah, about that, that gave people yeah. the, the, the dancing fever. You, yeah. know, you don't know what's going to happen in the medieval taste about what creates yeah. these illusions, So right? they had their worldview where, right. well, that didn't fit with the Catholic vibe at the time, so they might be seen as, you know, demon-possessed. Yeah. Whereas other times, um, and, and this kind of fits into one thing I want to talk about, is why are we built like that? So uh, 100,000 years ago, 100,000 years ago, Neanderthals buried their dead and took care of the ill, you know, they, so, so why? So, you know, they believed in, were you lucky or unlucky? Um, which, which is already like, we could say that Neanderthals believed in luck or believed in, uh, you know, being dealt the wrong hand because if, if everybody was purely atheist and we were just like these animal, had these animal instincts of, you know, survival of the fittest, then why are we taking care of the ill? You know, because, you know, you're, you're, you're the weakest link in the chain. You're holding us all back. Uh, we should just abandon you somewhere. And that did not happen even in other hominids, let alone like the Celtic ages and, you know, just throughout human history. There's no part of human history anywhere on the world that didn't have some of these beliefs. Um, for instance, life af after death. If you're um, a anybody from like Vikings to Celts to Germanic sure. peoples, this is kind of, I don't know how many of you listen to like history of Germany, but I'm, I'm touching on some of those topics where why are they even buried with uh, burial goods? You know what? So they might follow you to the afterlife that or slaves or slaves. horses or, yeah. you know, um, other animals. And, and there's, they're found with feathers and, and, um, like bird bones and everything. Sure. And I'm skipping around geographically a lot. You know, in the exhibit, it would point out that it had that too. It had Bronze Age thing. There was Neanderthals there, um, and it was kind of trying to point out that throughout Europe, it doesn't matter um, what time period from from Roman, which is like now we're into classical history where they had writing sources and we kind of know what they thought, like the Greek gods and Roman gods. Clearly, they believed in an afterlife, a sort of parallel world, like maybe a spirit world, you know, something beyond the visible, and. Um, one thing that Budler kind of clarified for me is I, I know that Vikings, let's say, like Norse and Norse religion, they might break a sword or bend a sword and then throw it, throw it away. And the, the belief was you would often find even shattered rings and stuff with the burial, you know, in a, in, with human remains. And that is because, well, let, let's think about this. And this might be a little bit of a, a theorizing, but these are people much smarter than me doing the theorizing here. This isn't my idea that when you die, your, your human remains kind of, uh, you know, decompose and you, t you turn into a skeleton and, you know, finally maybe nothing. And the belief was that there's an afterlife, that maybe there's an immortal soul. You know, you don't want to get into specifics because we're talking about thousands and thousands of years of history. But the things that decay here are whole in that parallel world or in the afterlife. So if you want somebody to have their horse, well, you kill the horse and put it in the grave with them, but, or the slaves, like you mentioned. But that also applies to um, amulets. And um, uh, we, we know this from Celts and Germanic peoples and then later Vikings, that they would smash something, throw it in the grave, thinking that if it's broken here, it would then become whole in the other world. Oh, that's interesting. So okay. as a coin rusts, yeah. it's becoming whole in the other world. So things that decay on this planet, are, they're, just, they're just crossing that veil. 
of yeah. you know it's a very Halloween sort of idea. Well, it, it, it is, but you know you, you you're saying on this side of, of the planet here in Europe, but of course in North America the Amerindians, of course, uh, of every, all the, they, they, every civilization they would say ever. If if like for instance the one story coming to me was the Battle of Little Bighorn, and after the after the Ninth Cavalry was decimated. Uh, Indian women came over, you know, taking off fingertips and putting holes through ears yeah. so they would listen in the afterlife better. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. So there was that kind of issue going on, and I can only imagine in, in Mesoamerica, same sort of situation, too. Mm-hmm. I'm not an f- expert on that. But to, uh, uh, you have these symbols and these tokens that you have um, that that are important. You talked about like amulets, right? Yeah. Or, or talismans, yep. right? That, that go back. And this Those goes back. Those were in the exhibit too. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So rings are part of this, aren't so they? Ring, rings are definitely a part of it. There's, um, I mean, just, so, so let's, you know, if you follow along, just accept the idea for now that there are things as angels and demons also, maybe that's a very Judeo-Christian It is. Uh, uh, yin idea. and yang too, right? But let's, yeah, but let's yeah. say spirits, ghosts, okay. maybe the dead, um, and, you know, like Halloween goes back before Christian times in like, you know, Celtic Britain, let's say. Um, but, but, you know, and then you might have shamans or mediums that can communicate with them. There's, there's ideas that you can interact with them. And then even in, you know, Christian times in the Middle Ages, that never went away. That, you know, the, the church tried to stamp a lot of those beliefs out. Um, even one of the articles was was saying like, don't burn incense at your house to like Odin or don't, you know, don't hang wreaths on your uh, on the outside of your house for protection because those are all um, like heathen, like pagan symbols. And we know we're all Christian now. We don't do that anymore. But the idea of folk magic. So um, the horseshoe, I'm going to say the wrong thing. That was Odin or Thor? Odin, I think. Yeah. So sometimes you would even see oh, Odin, Vodan in the Germanic sense, but um, Odin in Norse mythology. And you would see horseshoes with like Vodan engraved on um, horseshoes that would be so in Germany I grew up you, you still often see a horseshoe above somebody's front door now that do you see upside away. down or upside up, upright side oh that has a meaning right because in America in North yeah. America you'll see that in most barns and we'll talk about maybe witch hexes that you would paint on the side of yep. a barn in Pennsylvania yep. but as far as the uh, yeah, the, the horseshoe do that, the horseshoes instance. were always turned up on the wall because yeah. the luck would run out if you had it down. Yeah. Right. So, so <laughs> most people, yeah. you know, in this day and age might call that a superstition, but the fact that, you know, the four leaf clover is a luck bringer, like, you know, you're, you're trying to attract, it's really like, like the good spirits to you and, and ward off the, the bad spirits in a, from peoples that didn't think in terms of angels and demons, but, but like goblins and elves, you know, um, in fact, even some of these medieval, uh, like we're, we're talking about these, these like, um, lead leaflets, sort of lead pieces of paper. They're really thin, yeah. kind of like tinfoil, and folded together. And this is part of the um, research that's brand new. So Budler was, was you know, part of the team that was really figuring out and deciphering the very first ones of these, because they, they look like bullets. Um, it's just a lead little brick, and you can kind of tell, okay, it's been folded together, but they're so fragile that for years they would, you know, you wouldn't even know what you're finding. Like, you'd think, oh, it's a piece of a farmer's equipment in a field. And then slowly they, they thought, okay, well, let's unfold one, because we have a couple of these now. And they took the risk, and then they found out, oh, there's, there's cryptic symbols on the inside. Later they found others. When they started to do this work, then other museums would say, oh, we have this little lead blob, too. 
you know, why don't you go ahead and, and do your thing? Yeah. And they would open them up and find crucifixes or the, um, an alchemy, I think we've talked about this, but like the Seal of Solomon, it's this, so imagine a six-sided, like a Cairo, like a, a six-sided, not a star, but a, like three lines intersecting. So yeah. north, south, and then kind of northeast to southwest and northwest to southeast, you know, so six, six-pointed um, sort of star, but just three lines. And in magical books that might be very ornate because these are like actual magicians studying the craft, um, Kabbalists, which we've done an episode on, and it has this, this really deep meaning, which you come across in alchemy all the time, to like folk magic where they didn't really get it all right. They might get the symbols at the end of the lines wrong. It might just look like a crow's foot, but they'd still have it in these lead tablets. And they would wear them like talismans either around their neck or a, a, I don't even know, you know, maybe an armband or, or somewhere. Um, same idea with rings and um, just wear them as a protective talisman, basically. Now, let me, let me waste a couple of words here on the University Library of Leipzig. Um, Leipzig is Faust's town. So we did an episode on Faust, right? You well, yeah, when he was here in Prague. Goethe, Goethe, air quotes. He was in Wittenberg. <laughs> now, there are sources of him studying he was in Wittenberg. Here. Dr. Yeah. Faust, there's, there are sources of him being in Prague. The Faust house. There's the Faust house. Right. Um, there's definitely legends of him, of him being in Prague. And for those that have, you know, just heard the name, um, Faust was kind of a real character. Like, so he does show up in literature as like, there is a Dr. Faust and maybe he was chased out of a town or two, but there probably was actually more than one. I don't think it's that uncommon of a name, but he's the one that made a deal with the devil. And there's like Mistophanes and, and the whole, uh, you know, trying to, it's, it's, a, it's a tale against greed because in the end he kind of got his just desserts. But Leipzig is the Faust town. There's statues of him everywhere. There's, you know, there's a, there's a shopping mall passage basically. And then there's this big statue and a plaque and I took pictures of it, you know, and it's like, you go down there, that's the room where he met the devil. Like, the, you know, Wittenberg has the same, Prague has the same, but, yeah. but, um, um, Goethe, Goethe's Faust takes place in Leipzig. So that's, so, so one thing about the Uni um, Leipzig, I'm going to put it in the show notes, but it's uni, uh, as in university, uni-leipzig.de forward slash plus magica. So the plus symbol magica, and that will give you all the search results. You can actually go and um, download PDFs of all these magic books, 50 pages at a time. There's Albertus Magnus. We've done a show on him. Sure. Um, they mentioned, oh boy, it's, it's eluding me now, but so many people we've talked about on the show that they were either mentioned or it's like pseudo that person, like, you know, somebody using their name. Um, but you can actually find the whole collection online. They've made it available publicly. And the whole collection, this is kind of an interesting backstory of the exhibit itself is the whole collection showed up in Leipzig in 1710. It's 140 magical works, often handwritten. So some rich uh, nobleman or someone with money, clearly, would pay people to copy these texts as they, as they came into his possession. And in 1710, they were sold for 4,000 Reichstaller. That's the cost of like two or three nice houses, Burga, oh, wow. Burga okay. houses, whatever. Right. Um, so and, a small fortune. And, and these were texts that were most, mostly done in German, uh, in yeah. Germany, right? And yep. so probably German language. For a German patron, for sure. Okay. So however, the, you know, the fact that the rituals were somewhat complicated, uh, the preparations were very extensive and especially, so, you know, so the high level of this uh, was, you know, a high level of expensive. You can see that the money was coming in for this. For the educated. For the, yeah. ed for the only educated. So um, uh, that you had to be pretty comfortable with, you know, Latin to kind of understand some of the yep. higher points It's just mixed this. right in. Yep. Right, right. And then you also would have these guys, we talked about the higher class. What are they? Doctors? Yeah. 
you know, physicians, yep. you know, th those type of like the, the jurists, the teachers, um, book dealers, because they just had, had access to book and books and were educated, um, educated traders, like the, the people that handle the, the, the people that sold and bought books were, you know, had to knew, know what they were dealing with. Um, but also clearly also pastors and theologians, theologians. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah, these these are this is the the intended audience for these books, like not the folk magic type. These are like actual written down rituals. Um, in fact, in the exhibit, they had this big like magic circle. I just know it from like Supernatural or like those TV shows where um, you know they have a, a or all the horror movies where they deal with yeah. like demonic. They possession. write something on the ground. So yeah, safety. if you're going to summon yeah. a, dem a de demon, either be in the circle, depending on your source, either be in the circle and summon your demon or be outside of the circle and you summon the demon in the circle so that he can't escape. This is what kind of throws me off a little bit. And, and since you grew up in Munich, Travis, um, maybe you could speak more to this as far as the history is concerned. To me, um, at this time in, in Germany, we're talking about the Protestant Reformation, Yeah. right? And yeah. to me, from my, from my, I know of, of that, is that the occult statuses and those type of things that were kind of ethereal were yeah. really looked down upon by the Protestants. The Catholics, sure. the Catholics kind of still kind of had and it. And the mainstream. But yeah, yeah. the Protestants were like, dude, no, we don't believe in that baloney anymore. So here's... I'll, I'll, How did that work? Here's the funny thing. A yeah. lot of those books will have a prologue that is like... It's kind of like the teacher of the dark, dark arts in Harry Potter. It's like... <laughs> We, we're covering everything tonight. We're covering we? everything. <laughs> well, you have to mention that too. They, yeah. they mentioned that in the exhibit as well, over and over and over again. There's a Harry Potter it's reference. Oh, Harry Potter. I was like, you can't go to that exhibit. How's it in German? Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. And uh, well, okay. So, well, okay. Hold on. Let me let me talk to that for a second first. Is uh, I don't want to get too off track here. It's just crazy. It's so it's so neat. Um, but yeah, there'd be a prologue where where it's saying like, this is bad. Don't summon demons, but here's how you would do it. But you know, if you wanted to do it, follow these steps. And it's like very explicit on, on what you're doing. Same as alchemical texts, by the way. It's like, this is forbidden knowledge. We're against this. This goes against the Pope's uh, papal bull, and this goes against the teaching. However, just so you know what you're dealing with, when you come across it, here it is. And it's exactly, it's, and then you see the rituals and spells. Not just an allusion to them or mentioning that they exist, but the actual rituals and spells, all the symbols, everything you need to know to summon a demon. Um, including there was one that caught my eye, which was like abracadabra. Yeah. So I was like, I thought this was like from a thousand and one nights or some fairy tale, but no, there's like, it had this like magic triangle where it'd be like a, and then a B and then a B R and a B R a, and it had abracadabra like spelled out into a matrix kind of and abracadabra as if it was a magic word and, and a word of power. And, um, well, you know, for me, if, if you got, if you're listening, you got kids, especially small kids and you tell them not teenagers, if, if you tell them not to do something, they're going to do it. Yeah. Right. So, so at this point, if the yeah. Protestant church was but saying, had to don't touch it. Yep. I still see, I, I can imagine people gravitating to this stuff like a moth to a flame. And this could be a Lutheran pastor yeah. saying don't do it, but, but here, here, it, here is. it is. And with all with all the symbols and the deciphering of the symbols, explanations of the symbols. Um, again, the, the links in the show notes, but you can go look at these texts yourself. They're, they've made them publicly available. Um, let's let's jump from Leipzig to Halle here for a second. So, um, Budler was worked worked at the University of, uh, of for Halle for several years, but I think that was also maybe 10 years ago now, or um, at least, you know, I, 
ever since I knew him, he was already in Wittenberg. So he left um, the, the Lundus Museum in Halle, which is where the, the sky disk of Nebre is. So I got to actually see it in person. Yeah. I, I mean, I was, I was so this blown is, this away. This was a good trip for you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. And, they, and they did it so well. It's just so well. And then um, Budler gave me these two really pretty thick um, hardcover, like hardbound books with all these academic in uh, English. In, uh, some of them are in English. Yeah. Some of them are in, some of them are in German. That's nice. Um, some of their articles, and then each academic kind of wrote their own thing. Often mentioning one specific ring, I'll get, which Woodler's made a replica for his marriage, his his uh, wedding ring, actually. So him and his wife have these. Before we go any further, because this is a non-visual medium. What does that ring look like, and what are the symbols are? Well, are they carved in, or they, can you see through them like the Lord of the Rings ring? So this is, yeah, they're they're kind of they're carved on the outside, and now, so since that they did, they just happened to found that find that ring. That ring is believed to be from the 13th century, like 1200 somewhere in there. It has, I believe, 12 symbols on the outside. It's ciphered multiple times. So first of all, the letters are sideways. Then there might actually be a, a kind of a, a code for some other letter. And, and the fact that they're not in the same orientation, like some are upside down, some are backwards, some are, you know, it's, it's really meant to be hidden. So you, it's not plain text at all. And this one guy came along, which I should really uh, mention his name. They, he, he recently passed away and um, uh, he, he just had a wealth of knowledge of this stuff and he kind of blew everybody away at, at this one conference where they're like, okay, so based on this, this, and this tradition, this is what I think it means. And it's, um, long story short, it's a nine, nine me XPS, deny me Christ, which is in the uh, Philippians uh, book of the Bible. Like, like, um, you said the word deny me Christ? Deny, like, me, deny Christ. me Christ. Yeah, as in, so the- Like the, when Peter denied Christ three times? No, the, the idea or, is, um, um, that that I'm I'm irrelevant. I'm just a servant of the Lord. So so I I mean nothing, you know. And okay. so I want to, so the, hence I want to serve you more. Boy, I should pull out the Bible verse now because you know yeah. I'm just kind of going off of um, memory. That yeah, yeah, that memory in that article. But it's totally so so. There were critics that were saying like it could mean nothing. And then you know they're like, well, why would it mean nothing? Why put all the work into it to mean nothing? And it's a it's a silver ring. And um, it came, it, it was found in 1898, but lost until 20, 2002. And I even read the whole history of like, it was in this, um, some farmer found it in his, in his, when he dug up a tree, it was, you know, in a pot, like a clay jar and with a bunch of coins. And so it kind of got mixed into the museum and the coin collection and then under a different catalog. And so it just kind of lost, they, they were looking for it in the eighties and then couldn't find it. So they just put it as lost. This was in Germany? Is yeah. This so it survived two in, world in that, wars in that era. Yeah, yeah. In the in the museum in Halle, in their collection, in their yeah. um, in the attic, so to speak, like in their you know the leftover stuff that's not on exhibit because you know they have so many thousands of coins, and um, but rediscovered and then and now so since that research has been done, you know, two thousand two, two thousand three was the first deciphering attempts. They've come across other rings similar. There's another really recent find in Germany, which. Um, I'll get to, well, okay, let me, let me talk about that one. So there was a ring, same thing, um, letters on the outside. So in general, you might find letters on the inside. They might be a abbreviation of a Bible verse meant for protective talisman, or even like Ave Maria, like the first letters of um, the, the Ave Maria prayer, just kind of as, as an acronym um, on the inside or the outside. And one of them, to give you an example, so, so when the person died, 
The other people, when they see this ring, they're like, what the heck is that? And they found one ring stamped flat and buried inside of a church and the church ground. So they, they raised up a tile in some restoration and found this flattened out ring. And the thought was, well, it's an evil, it's an evil ring of power, frankly, and we're gonna take it to Mordor. No, I mean, we're gonna take it to <laughs> the cathedral someplace and put it under the tile so it's on consecrated ground right. so that the church's effect First of all, it's destroyed, it's flattened out, and then the church's effect of, of it being sanctioned, you know, holy ground, would cancel out any negative effects of the ring. Mm. So it was, it was literally like laid to rest like a body would be or, or anybody else, um, in a very Christian sense. So not, you know, well, we, not we, like it would be there in the afterlife, but it's Before it's the show, we talked banned. about destroying the rings, that the Pope would have his own ring created for him. Yeah. And the ring itself, uh, through Popes through history, even, even today's Pope, Pope Francis yep. has one, Yep. And it, there's something that's very specific for that pope, as far as maybe his his, his heredity line, or and it's smashed, and or it's smashed, and when, when he dies, die. yeah, it is is completely destroyed. So there was actually one papal ring in the exhibit too, and and it's cr so some of those rings are crazy, just ornate, yeah. and you know to give a, a little more context, I mean the last article in the book was even on smart rings because like today's like today's wearables, you you it measures your heart rate, you can pay with it like a credit card, it might have storage in it, so you might have your personal data in it, it might have your medical data in it. What is that? So, you know, they kind of put it in the context, well, it's the latest archaeological shift uh, layer, which is like the present tense and future tense even. Um, I don't have a smart ring yet. You know, I'm too plebeian to afford one, I guess. And um, so, but, but you know, we, we still have this idea of, of, you know, a ring that has all these functions beyond just the, it's a piece of jewelry or it's a, and, and in fact, so in German, um, the word magic, magie, power, macht, and wealth, which is vermögen, mergen, um, are etymologically very close. It, it has kind of the same, they're, they're cognate of each other. So magic, power, and wealth, you know, it's, it's just different aspects of the same sort of idea. And what, so here, we, we get kind of crazy here, like, what finger you wear it on matters. Think about your, your wedding ring. Yeah, always right? goes on your left hand and, the, and right. Uh, right next to your index finger. So even Romans finger. had this idea yeah. that um, there's an artery that goes from your ring finger. I, I mean, I'm looking at my left hand right now and I see it, that goes all the way to your heart. Oh. So it's a lifeline and so they would, um, you would see old Germanic coins where they would copy the Roman profile of a face, but they're Germans, and they would see them with like a thumb ring. So we know that they had different rings on different fingers. They also had like arm rings and, and the exhibit didn't just talk about finger rings. It was the idea of, we've talked about a, oh, I'm gonna mispronounce it again, an Ouroboros or whatever, the um, snake eating its own tail. Right. And often it's a figure eight, but hundreds of examples also ex exist of it just being a ring. Even with runes, even with you know, yeah, uh, I, I Greek, uh, sorry, not runes, with yeah, Greek um, yeah. from the Byzantine era, and we talked about that in alchemy, you know. Um, well, I, I mean, so you you talk about the, the the ring finger, which is the third finger in from the uh, from from the uh, thumb, and you look at you know, you, you see in these movies, you see you know, Godfathers and, and you know, uh, mafia wearing the pinky rings, you know, mm -hmm, so, you know, mm -hmm. like, and, 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 some people can pull it off, some people can't. I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna throw. You got to be Italian American. Uh, maybe I don't know. Or Sicilian. But, or, but yeah. I, I don't. You know what I don't see is I don't see rings on the index finger that much. Yeah. Is there a reason for I that? I do. I w you're talking to the wrong person because I yeah. wear a ring on my index finger. But um, uh, To punch people? Is that what you... <laughs> that's, that's what it is, yeah. 
that's a good question. I don't. But, yeah. Specifically, is just so it's not on my wedding ring and it's the same size. Like I, I'm just oh, that yeah, shallow. That's what it is. Okay. But so in the in Wagner, there's the ring of the Nibelungen, which um, the the kind of nymphs, the 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 river elves. Boy, I'm going to get crap for people that actually know uh, like these these tales, these legends. But um, you know, they they take it away from. I'm going to get in trouble again. Is it Thor or Odin? But, you know, there's this ring of power that Wagner wrote about in, in his operas, um, J.R.R. Tolkien, obviously. And even that was... So the, the elves create their rings, but then Sauron secretly creates a ring to control them. And think about the Olympic rings, right? Yeah. Um, All the different colors. Representing the different... The five different peoples of the world or, you know... The, I, you know, I, I thought... I, I don't know this, and I... I Participated in the Paralympic Games yeah. uh, to a certain extent uh, as an alternate. Humble brag. Yeah, they're humble brag. I didn't even get to go to the show. I was I stayed yeah, sure. at home. Uh, but but, cut any, that part out, but anyway, cut that apart out. Um, I, I was told that those colors of the ring represent all the colors in all the flags in the world. Yeah. Okay. Not the yeah, people. but it's supposed to. Yeah. Right. I, I also like yeah. the five continents in a like yeah. um, all the, the symbolism but, but is the huge. whole world. Right, yeah, it's right. all the peoples of the world. Um, wedding rings like the Ouroboros. I keep. I'm sorry, folks. Um, but it, you know, just like royal rings would would definitely symbolize the exact same thing, which is eternity. So you know, it's it's a cyclical thing. So so Germanic and Celtic peoples, you can easily imagine. You know the the cycle of the year. Yeah. You know that 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 what ends is also the beginning. Every point on a ring is also the beginning. Um, but think about like slave chains. It's a lot. There's a Greek myth. Um, <laughs> the guy that had to was it the guy? Oh, uh, um, Prometheus, who stole fire. So eventually he was kind of forgiven, but he had to keep one of his chains. Uh, chain links and wear it as a ring as a reminder that he did mess up that one time. So, you know, even like shackles, uh, and we see this in Germanic times too, like shackles with chains that were in the exhibit. And uh, so even, you know, a, a way to constrain somebody or hold somebody back. I, I look at it in, in today's modern era um, that, you know, I've got friends that are married but specifically do not want rings because it represents bondage. I was going to say, this so, is a and, bad and, context. And, and, yeah. and so I said, you know, so what happens yeah. when you go to a bar and, yeah. and someone's trying to pick it? Because what it does is it also wards off other people. I wore my ring right? long after my divorce it, just it, to, when I went to the bar. I was it, just like, hey. Exactly. I'm, so, you know, leave me alone. It's ownership, but it's also say, let me help you make the decision that I'm yeah. not for grabs. And, and the deal is, is that... Some people feel uh, that they're free of that. So, mm -hmm. so you do have the other side of the coin of yeah. saying what, what rings represent and what they don't there, represent. There's a romantic idea, yeah. but for some people it might, you know, that, that might take a whole different context out of that. Yeah. So we might say, oh, it's the artery to your heart or, or it symbolizes eternity just like a king's reign should last forever. You know, same exact idea. But <laughs> let me ask you this. Here in Prague, we've got these great stories of alchemical uh, uh, folks making, make, trying to make gold, especially here at Prague Castle, mm -hmm. right? And it was known that, that in that time, your prowess as this alchemical engineer was your beard. Your beard right. gave you power. Right. And there's a great story of Rudolf II, Emperor Rudolf II, that was, he said, I had enough. I'm going to get all you guys in there. I need to make gold yesterday. All mm -hmm. right? You guys are mm -hmm. screwing around. Yep. I'm going to put you in the tower, the Black Tower at Broadcastle, yep. by the way, right? And he locked him up there. And as a result, they were like, you know what? I'm, we're, 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 we're revolting. We're revolting. We it's can't too hot in here. So they shaved their own beards. Yeah. And his result to that was like, well, then you can take the long leap off the bridge mm -hmm. into, into the moat, 
because yeah. that's, you don't do that to lock, the emperor. Lock them in cages and feed them to the bears, feed them or, to the bears. or starve to death. Yeah. So the beard was a, a symbol, but did you know of any any guys that, especially here in Prague, that were doing alchemy? that invested themselves in these talismans, like rings and, and necklaces. Definitely, yeah. Um, here in Prague, per se, I don't know, but it's such a common thing. Yeah. Like, um, I, I could see an alchemist... So, the rings were also used to identify people. Like, if you think of a, a, the Ziegel ring, the, what's that in English? That's not an English word. Um, the word where you stamp a piece of wax. Yeah. What, there's a word for it. Well, it's, it's a signet. A signet. Yeah, yeah a signet, signet ring. ring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, nobility would wear that. Like, I, I could easily imagine alchemists wearing a, um, even something around their neck or a ring that would identify them to each other. Kind of like a Masonic, like a, well, there we go. Mas- you know, there's Masonic rings, for instance. Right. Um, so they can kind of, you know, tell each other, if you know what you're looking for, you say, okay, that's, you know, he, he has that alchemical knowledge. To me, I would think that they would actually not have rings, only for the reason that the chemical reaction for whatever the ring was made into would be so close to what they were what they were doing, um, you know, could have mixed or caused problems that they were, did not intend. What if the ring came off? Let's say there, that it caused problems. There are alchemical rings. Hold on, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but yeah, I'll get back to it. So there was um, one story of um, the this elect, electro magico electrum, but not electrum like silver and gold. It's just uh, this other material. Um, and it, but it, and it did sound like a, a chemical ring because it was made out of lead, mercury. It sounds like an alchemical oh, recipe. Oh, that doesn't sound good for your health. And it doesn't sound good for your health. <laughs> but clearly, so the same. This wasn't from an alchemist though, but um, it, it was uh, for one of the books in in. Um, no, no. What was it? One of the books in Leipzig. I think this was. This was part of the exhibit in Halle. Um, even the creation of the ring sounded like an alchemical et- recipe. Like you're, it's mixed with gold, and you're pouring it at the right hour of the sun, etc. Oh yeah, because I read the spell of it, so it was in Leipzig. Um, it had the tetragrammaton, the, the name of God, written on the inside or outside, and. This was at the very beginning we mentioned like it could tell if someone's going to poison you or hurt you. So the ring would turn black if you touch it to food and there's poison in it. Um, like a mood it ring? Would, like a mood ring. What? Uh, it would get <laughs> blood spots on it if an enemy is, enemy is nearby. Like hobbits, the hobbit's sword would glow Hello. if there was orcs. This would get blood spots on it if an enemy was nearby. And if on the left thumb... It was an invisibility ring, just like the Hobbit. So again, forgive us for that. But seriously, like this, this was a trope. When I'm when I'm in an awkward situation, I like to pretend that I'm invisible. Yeah. So that's so you just kind put of that on your ring. Exactly. You're Bilbo, and you're like, you know, who, why are you not paying attention to me? I'm not here right Pete now. Pete Baggins. I'm not here right now. Now the ring, <laughs> the same ring, by the way, would also break to pieces when um, put on a finger of someone unloyal. So if you use it as an engagement ring. And that's not a that's not the one for you. It would just break to pieces. Now, now let me think about this as, as a biometric situation. Let's say that that you have blood spots on your ring because you think someone else is here to hurt you. What if you're somewhat subconsciously aware that you're in danger, and your fer- not your pheromones, but let's say your your chemistry and your skin changes a little bit because you're you're sweaty. You're uh, yeah. You're nervous. Yeah. Your heart rate goes up. So it Maybe tells the metal you, changes and you're... You, it's like a smart ring that's you, telling you your, your, your heart rate's exactly. going up. You yeah. think it's magic, but basically it's measuring your... Your finger's turning green. Your acid in your skin or something. Yeah, that you're you afraid know. of something. Right. Could be. I don't know if it was that accurate is yeah. the problem. Yeah. Um, in Roman times, uh, they also had key... Not a key chain, but I saw this uh, ring with a key on it. So you'd have to take the ring off to use it, but it would open a lockbox. So literally like a ring representing access to something. Um, a crown. What is a crown? 
but just a ring, right? So it yeah. also it, sure. it, it also symbolized like eternity, and you're gonna reign forever. Okay, one one more thing. Have you heard that they're are they gonna make the Cimmerillion into a movie? I haven't heard that. So I know there was talk about it years ago, and I but haven't. But it's, it's, it's what they call a deep cut in the industry. They need I don't to. know if anybody would get it. It's crazy. So. Again, for the J.R.R. Tolkien fans out there, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I yeah. apologize. Because um, that was in the Cimmerillion where they, where they backed up and told the whole story of the creation of the ring. This is important for the episode. So um, who made it and what? Then they kind of described that these elves created these rings. Um, they're 12 rings of power or whatever. Seven. I don't know. The dwarves had some. The people had some. But then Sauron made this ring to kind of bind them all. He also, the reason I'm mentioning this is not just for pure nerdism, but he, he put a chunk of his own power into it. And um, that, that's kind of another interesting thing is that you are, you're investing your own energy or you're investing your own kind of power into these objects. Right. That is not uh, something that he invented out of thin air. Like that is something that was mentioned in the exhibit over and over or even in these, in these books. So there's, there's one ring that would give, give you the strength of 12 men. Um, there's rings that were made out of horseshoes uh, of the devil's horses. So I don't know how they got a hold of the devil's horse's horseshoe, but, um, and also gallow parts. So um, what parts? Like of a gallow, like the nails to hold up the gallows. Oh, that's kind of spooky. Yeah. So right. all these weird things. Like you mentioned alchemical... Like what if you had a bad reaction or what if it was too close to what you're creating? If you think of silver, like silver was thought to ward off w- witches anyways. Yeah. So the fact that a lot of these rings are made out of silver is just it's just a talisman in and of itself. Just the material of it would ward off witches, demons. Uh, it was also thought to ward off sicknesses like rabies, like very specific. They would say like, wear this ring and you're not going to get rabies or even like, because um, they didn't know what epilepsy was. You know, so you so if people were epileptic and they were having seizures, they would give them a silver ring sometimes to do that. Um, we talked about this Kabbalistic, so rings with Kabbalistic sim- symbol to heal in German, like Wenden, yeah. um, which is almost like to turn towards the better. Um, so to heal, but, you know, to kind of change your fate to not become sick, but to become well. Silver chains... Uh, on babies, so it would ease the teething pains like that. So they would put these. You know, I've never t- seen that in paintings. I've never yeah. heard that before. Um, okay. Now, you, but you do know the idea of a silver coin or the in, silver spoon in your mouth. Silver spoon. That's a Is great that, one. Okay. Silver spoon in right. your mouth when you're. You know, it's a. It's a kind of a what. A, a, Analogy or it's something. A, it's of a gift for a newborn baby. Yeah, that's to say. So they're. I always thought it was because it's supposed to be rich. Like you, the baby so always be rich. That's that's what we say now. Yeah. But yeah, it was like you know you give a silver spoon to a baby in hopes that they will create more wealth. Uh, same way that a, a silver ring as part of a bridal gift would then ah. uh, encourage the the wife to have wealth and and be prosperous in the right. marriage. Um, you do know like the silver coin in the mouth of the, the deceased. But, mm-hmm. So the silver eyes was to pl- uh, pay uh, for the boat man. The, the boat, the, yeah, yeah. But yeah, even in even in medieval times, like even when Christianity took hold, you'd still sometimes put a silver coin in their mouth. And we talked about like vampires on Bohemian, and uh, you know the yeah. uh, what was that graveyard and, and, and werewolves. So the same silver and werewolves, great yeah. one. Yeah, same idea. Women in Bohemia would put silver rings on when sewing, so that this, um, it's a Bilvisschnitzer in German. It's a sort of field ghost, if you will. They got really specific with their ghouls and goblins. 
um, a, this uh, Bill Wish Schnitter will not harm the crops. So you're sowing, you're doing something totally different, um, but it was a protective way to kind of protect your household in, in this um, thing. Also, Bohemia, because we're sitting in the nation's in Bohemia, capital, capital right. a hekpfennig, so a sort of penny, uh, which was a, a, a Bohemian coin, just the, one of the lowest denominations. Okay. But they would cut a snake tail out of a goshen, and then it was called a hekpfennig. Um, and when it's when you spend this, it's sure to return to you. So you're like, okay, I'm I'm spending money, but I'm gonna get this back because I somehow I somehow put a spell on it in a way. That's a that's a check thing. Iron, okay, a coffin nail. This was already mentioned by Pliny the Elder, our our good friend Pliny. Sorry, it's Pliny for those out there that are pedantic and pedestrian and kind of petty. You've been wanting to say pedantic and pedestrian all day. All day. And you're looking straight at me. So <laughs> Pliny the Elder is how it's pronounced. Um, he, he already mentioned uh, a coffin nail would ward off demons, for, for instance. Sometimes you would carry a piece of steel or iron as you go to sleep at night to protect yeah. you from, well, I mean, they had night terrors and they didn't, they didn't know how to explain it. So, you know, if you, if you were susceptible to night terrors, well then, you know, hold this iron bar. No, but you know, a little piece of steel or iron to protect against those demons and uh, unbaptized babies. So before babies are baptized, um, if you're Catholic, they would be protected with iron hatchets or knives well, in the which, crib. Which makes sense. That You're they, putting these sharp objects. I don't well, get yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know about the sharp objects part of making sense, but you know they probably had the reasons. But of course, with high mortality rates for infant mortality, yeah. if you didn't quite get them to baptize, their soul might be gone. Yep. So you give so them you, some protection just to get them through until the until you get them to, through that date when you right. can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we mentioned the horseshoe, uh, Vodan, uh, Odin, and you'd hang it above a door. Um, you'd also give sick animals water in which red hot iron was cooled. Like think of a blacksmith; he's you know cooling off a sword or something. Okay. And you give that water for animals to drink. And okay, so I just put like dot 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 ellipses because there are so many more examples of you know obviously on the alchemy show we'd like metals equal something else, um, but. A quick definition, so there's a talisman, and this, this is blurry, but a talisman should bring you luck, whereas an amulet should uh, cause protection. Um, it's way more fluid than that, because we're talking folk ma magic, right? Right, so right. People weren't even always literate. And finally, so I want to talk about these folded lead sheets again. So Mirko was, uh, the Budler, was, uh, was a part of the team to kind of first decipher some of these. And by the way, Budler is a great person to go to a museum with because he'll just stare at this like super, he can read the old handwritings, which I'm just like staring at gibberish basically, but he's you know going through it. It doesn't matter if it switches to Latin, he keeps going. But he could like look at a ring or look at these metal, uh, these lead sheets and, and read what's there where it's like, it was written by people that couldn't always write, just text copies and there's spelling mistakes copied over and over just turns into kind of gibberish but he can decipher it because he's been staring at it until he went blind more or less yeah and there's also mixed with christian symbols like there's one lead plate where the whole thing is a crucifix and then the writing is written around it in the in the you know spare areas and when you fold it it's like folded towards you and then also it's kind of like jesus is hugging you because you know he's on the crucifix on the cross arms stretched out okay. and then it's folded like this so it's this whole idea of protection like you're in jesus's embrace let's say so rings uh, this is from mirko's article so rings would have engravings on the inside and out sometimes on the inside because it wasn't so obvious to passerbys that you're wearing a magic ring which could be a red flag in in this you know very religious society Again, like often with Bible verses, kind of abbreviated, or the Ave Maria, kind of abbreviated. 
and not just encrypted rings and letters, but there's whole articles on ciphers um, in that book. So just the, this is the stuff for that make my, like the alchemy thing tingle, because um, there's whole alphabets that that are just, it looks up like, like just scratchings and claw markings and whatever, but some of these books actually deciphered that, or you know, would have them written like, here's the alphabet in this weird script. And uh, you know, this, and you know, this just, just encrypted several, several times. And then folded into lead sheets and you know, written for people that can't write, for people that can't read. So these, these would be folded up and never unfolded. So um, there was also, there was even forgeries. They were just like, you're never gonna see what this is anyways, and just kind of like, haha jokes on you. Sort of like literally, like just, you know, someone's just like, here, I'm gonna sell you this really expensive lead talisman. Yeah. Don't open it, it'll lose its power. And on the inside, it's just like pictures of the leprechaun. It's just nothing, you know, yeah. just. Um, so really interesting, um, kind of this whole new field of study with these lead, of folded up pieces of paper, like like tinfoil. And it's it's this is a really interesting space. Everything we've talked about is in between this Christian sanctioned prayers and words and totally forbidden folk magic. Mm -hmm. Even priests and pastors doing it, you know, mm -hmm. even even Protestant pastors doing this. Because it's, you know, to me, it's because it's tangible. You know, faith is not tangible. It, 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 well, it, yeah, you know, no, it gives you something yeah. to hold on to. It's right. on your neck or it's in a ring and, and it just makes you, it's, it's a placebo effect in a way. Um, some listeners might have a problem with me saying that, but it, in a way, it just, it just gives you confidence that like, oh, I'm protected. I'm not going to die of the plague well, every freaking listen, day. The world was a tough place to live in five, six hundred, seven hundred plus years ago. Yeah. And, and you don't know who, what's going to happen from one minute to the next, but you know, even within churches, the idea of having a crucifix in your house, the idea of having something around your neck, the idea of, of having a wedding band, those are all forms of protection and, and, and putting uh, faith into something tangible. Yeah. So this, in this sense, was to take it to a whole other level, wasn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. and it's interesting that um, it is, we're talking protection. Like in the Middle Ages, we're, we're talking about protective, like white magic, if you will which was the restoration of order. So you wanted to, the sick to be healthy, you wanted to protect against evil. But if, if this is your field, if you know about lead magic spells, you might know this from the Roman period where they would carve curses in lead and, and bury it with the dead. Like if you disturb this grave, you're gonna get the pox kind of thing. Okay. So it was, it, was, it was, you know, which I, is that black magic? I don't know, but um, if, instead of curses, we're talking protective, um, Amulets, I guess, and, and talismans. Uh, the, the writing and creating of the lead leaves itself was a sort of magical process. So here, here's the interesting thing. If, if, you say a, if you say a prayer, it has this fleeting effect, right? You're just kind of, you say, you say an Ave Maria or the Lord's Prayer or even just, you know, a, a Protestant, like, help me, uh, amen, kind of thing. Um, but then how long does that last? Does that last a lifetime? Does that just last for the day? Um, you know, uh, whereas if you write something down it, on a, on a, as part of a talisman or an amulet, you're really, it's forever. So the, you wear the written words around your neck. It's the idea of carrying a crucifix with you. Yeah. You always have that symbol. It's not just a fleeting, like a one time, like, oh, I'm, you know, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And then you move on with your life. It's like a, no, I, I always have this same thing as a wedding ring. It's a, it's a permanent sort of thing. So even by writing down these ideas, like these uh, protective spells or whatever, or a Bible verse, it's like you're, you're carrying that with you forever. 
So I think um, that's about where we could wrap it up. I would say check out the show notes again for past access, for the secret cabinet. Uh, my own personal projects are, uh, there's a podcast Nick YouTube channel and a podcast Nick audio feed. They're not the same thing. On the audio feed, I interviewed Pete so you could figure out more about who Pete is sure. and his whole life and fencing and you know all that stuff. We also, you also have a good friend that wrote a book on alchemy, didn't you? Yep, and that either was just published or will be the next episode, depending on how this works out. I, I assume it was the previous episode. So go listen, go listen to that episode for a blurb on the book. You can find the book on Alchemy uh, on Amazon. Joe Herlihy is the um, author, and I think I'll put that in the show notes as well. And also there's another blurb on, I'm going to put the book front and center on podcastnick.com, on historyofalchemy.com. If you've only seen historyofalchemy.com, do check out podcastnick.com. Again, it's in the show notes. There's I kind of al- feel like you need to write these things down, folks, because we, we got a lot. It's to- in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. It's written down right for you. Just scroll down, would okay. you? Um, yeah, take a look at your smart device or uh, your computer or whatever you're looking at. Just scroll down a little bit. Um, there's the podcastnick shop. We have alchemy merch out, soon to be more. T-shirts, stickers. That also includes a, a, a magical... Dog bandanas. Yeah, our logo has a magical symbol in it, you know, Ramon Lowell's computer. We, I do remember that. That, so that was also, there were similar versions of that in these books in Leipzig. So, yeah, um, yeah these like magic circles, magic circles of protection and all so that. So put one on your dog, he's good to go. Uh, that also is a thing, yes. Right? So, if you can tell, we talked at the top of the, top of the show that we're very busy fellas. And it was kind of like, we always like to start these shows we haven't done some in a while with an apology, but it's like, an, we're sorry, but we're not sorry. <laughs> because here's the thing. We, still listen we, to our other stuff. We, if yeah, we, we love doing these shows on alchemy and Czech, and Czech life and Bohemian. Um, and we still want to keep them alive. And we love the fact that you subscribe. Please keep you know that uh, going with us because we have so many more stories to tell you. Just keep in mind that we're both on different parts of the planet, just not here today. We're actually in one room today, which is nice. And um, we're, we have different things going on that relate to our shows. Right now, if you listen to this, like when it's published, there's a GoFundMe to help me make candy. Uh, we both got day jobs. We're both trying to survive here. If you, <laughs> if, if you want to kick us in the... <laughs> If you want to kick us to uh, make another episode soon, um, you know, you can review us on iTunes. We appreciate that. And we take that into effect. We're like, hey, people are, you know, looking at us on iTunes and reviewing us on iTunes. I feel guilty for not making another show. And we do. This is this is a pure guilt trip right here. This is what we're doing. No, but this is nice, though. It's nice being in the same room again. Yeah. In the same city for a change. Yeah. And uh, last time you were here in Prague visiting me, it was um, two years ago. Yep, it's been two years. So, so that's, you know, that's probably the last time. I don't even then is probably more history of Germany stuff because the audience is just so much bigger. Yeah, that's not your fault. You're listening. You're, you guys are great, but <laughs> other shows are way bigger. Um, if you want to support us, uh, we got Patreon pages, we got uh, PayPal, and it, you know, if you if you give a donation on PayPal, it's like make more alchemy episodes. That that tends to be a good uh, mm-hmm. indicator that we'll do so. And I got to um, tell you too, I, I can speak at least for my Bohemian audience. Uh, and Travis can speak for all the other audiences he's on. When we get uh, a comment um, that you guys send us, um, you know, either on iTunes or, or our website, you websites. can just reach out by email or and by you either know, one. On the, on the either websites. one is great. But boy, I tell you what, um, they they make us uh, 
kind of galvanized a little bit more to do more work and, and even work late in the hours until sometimes, 2 in the morning. Sometimes we get so tired when we get home from work, we forget that you guys are all out there and waiting for the next one. So. Exactly. And on top of that, we also do get criticism. And those the, those critiques actually help us make the shows better. Oh, so, well, I don't mind those at all. Yeah, please yeah. keep them coming. You can just poop all over us if you want. <laughs> is, is that the technical term? Okay. Yeah. All right. Got to keep it clean here. Yeah. So, so with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of uh, History of Alchemy with uh, Travis and Pete. And we want to thank you all for listening. And remember, uh, you can take a look at podcastnet.com for all information coming your way. So until oh. next time. Oh, yes, Travis. In fact, on podcastnet.com, I just updated the who we are section. There's a little blurb about the whole team. Budler, Judith, you, me, Imad, our Syrian refugee that translates history of Germany into Arabic, by the way. Mm-hmm. Please help us spread the word that there's history of Germany in Arabic. Um, for refugees living in Germany was the idea, but you know anybody that speaks Arabic could have a listen. And um, I wrote down the podcast next story. So like kind of how this even came to be almost seven years ago now. That's good. That's crazy. Now, I think that was worth stopping me my mid-roll goodbye. So th- let's do it again. Frankly, I'm so, sick Until of you. next time. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. <laughs> until next time for the History of Alchemy, this has been Pete and Trav. Take care and have a good night. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.